Welcome to a Neon Jazz interview with the very talented trumpeter and member of the Zen Jazz Rich River Cow Orchestra, E.E. E. Pointer. On a recent interview with Neon Jazz, E.E. E. was candid about a life well lived in teaching, playing jazz, and as a family man. He discussed an early encounter with Chuck Berry, the many gigs that led to his present status with the River Cow Orchestra, who his jazz luminaries are, why Miles Davis matters, along with a very rich host of other wise words and stories. Dig it. Live in Grandview, E.E. Pointer, River Cow Orchestra. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure to finally talk with you. It's been several years now. In fact, last night I did my 150th show. Oh and you were one of the first artists that was on the show, first local, so it's really nice to kind of come full circle That's great. and talk. That's good. That's so, good. Let, let's start with your alpha. Let's begin with where were you born and raised? Uh, I was born in the area. I was born in Lexington, Missouri, only because where I lived in Richmond across the river, there was no hospital back in 1951. Yeah. Uh, but I was born in, or basically raised in Richmond. Okay. And went to, uh, had a wonderful mother and father, very supportive about musical things. Started studying the piano at the age of five. Okay. Actually knew my notes before I knew my alphabet. Yeah. So English is my second language. <laughs> <laughs> uh, graduated from high school there in Richmond in 1970. Went to the Conservatory of Music. Sweeney Conservatory of Music at uh, Central Methodist University and uh, studied there with some fine, fine teachers, fine folks, and uh, ended up in uh, the teaching profession. Yeah. And uh, I did that in a couple of towns. Uh, started off in Troy, Missouri, and I ended up in Richmond. And out of the 35 years I taught, Twenty, the last twenty-four I taught in Richmond. Gotcha. So, what is what? What was it about growing up where you were at, and even in the Kansas City area, that gave you that love for jazz? Was that a factor? You know, now that's sort of a, a loaded question because I listened to Dixieland jazz. My dad was a Dixieland jazz freak. Yeah. And I listened to all that when I was growing up, and it didn't really take because I was I was a kid. Yeah. You know, I liked it. Yeah. Uh, when we were in his workshop, he would turn it on, and I would go down to help him, and that meant hold this, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And but I it soaked up, and then uh, the rest of my training was totally classical, totally conservatory trained, all that kind of stuff. Sure. Uh, I studied the classics. And when I first started playing, it was mostly big band stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I did that in the St. Louis area for a number of years and uh, had an opportunity to play with some people that went on to great things. I know uh, one of the big bands I played in, we had a little drummer that came over from a local high school. His name was David Weckle. Yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was a good player. Yeah. Uh, so I got lucky that way. I got to play with some interesting folks. Sure. And um, then when I moved to this side of the state, I started playing in the St. Joe area in big bands and stuff yeah. like that. Uh, didn't do a lot of combo work, right? But I was constantly what time I did have for that kind of stuff. Yeah, I was listening, right? And, yeah. Jazz always was uh, the improvisation part of it was always really important to me. 
Yeah. I'll never forget uh, the first time that I tried to do some improvisation when I was in college. Yeah. My, I, well, I, you know, I didn't, I absolutely had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. And my teacher, Paul Montemurro, who passed a couple years ago, uh, told me, he said, Pointer, there's only 12 minutes, just pick one. Right, right. <laughs> and I still think about that today. That's awesome. I still think about that today. And so uh, in 1970, I heard Bitches uh, Brew yeah. from Miles Davis. Yeah. And I hadn't really done a lot of listening to Miles Davis at that point, but that was my introduction to that. Yeah. And after hearing that West Coast uh, fusion, is, I. I was hooked. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I was hooked. That's right. And I heard that just right after it came out. I mean, yeah. it was good. Wow. And uh, that really sort of set the tone for other things. Now, yeah. I, just because I liked it didn't mean I could just automatically do it. Right, right, right. right. You know, that's and how it works. That's how it works. And so I was still learning how to play. And, uh, I later had the pleasure of studying with uh, the West Coast trumpet guru. Claude Gordon, yeah. and he really, really helped me. Uh, between Paul Montemurro and Claude Gordon, uh, that really helped yeah. me to get to get going. Yeah, um, and then you know it was uh, years and years and years and years of hitting it every day and going teaching kids. And yeah. In the meantime, you're as you're teaching all of those. You're learning new things about yourself. Sure. And learning new things. Why don't you try this? And I'm thinking, why don't I try that? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And um, then I met a young man in 1980 who uh, taught me just as much as I hope I taught him. His yeah. name was Bill McCain. Okay. And uh, Bill studied with me for five years. Nice. And we became friends. That's, uh, you could talk to him about that. Yeah, but, yeah uh, he's a great guy. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He's awesome. Yeah, he's an incredible musician and an incredible bass player. But, yeah. Uh, he's, I love the way he thinks. I love the way he works. Yeah. He's got a wonderful family too. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and then you're affected by those students and all that. And at the same time, about the year 2000, I had a physical thing happen, and, and I decided, you know, life is tenuous at best, you know, something right, but um, I decided that I was going to do some things that I'd never, you know, that I, I had never pursued because of the family, and, and no problem there, but right. I was, you know, my son is grown, my daughter's grown, yeah. um, you know. So I decided to uh, start writing, and I'd always did arrangements and things like that. Sure. But then it became, I want to try to record something. Yeah. So I did. Yeah. And um, in 2004, I had my first uh, CD that I was produced with uh, a gentleman by the name of Murphy Tetley, one of my friends over uh, in the central part of the state. And uh, it was entitled uh, Better Late Than Never. There's been a lot of CDs that way, but in my case, it really was because I was in my 50s. Right. 
Um, and then after that, uh, I got some good, re really good reviews, which was nice. Sure. Icing on the cake didn't, you know, I, I don't want to say I could care less about those things, but they don't move me. They don't change me. Right, right. They feel like it's fine if not. Thanks anyway. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, and then um, Bill McKamey had was back in the area and he called me up and he said, Hey, you want to do a recording with us? I'm like, Well, what are you doing? He said, Well, I've got all these saxophone players coming in. I'm going to play tuba. It's called uh, Underpass, is the name of the album. He called the group Perfume Nightmare. And uh, it's still available somewhere out there. But man, what a setup. There was all these saxophones. That was the only trumpet or whatever other instrument. Oh, there was Jack Blackett, there was uh, Jeff Harshberger, yeah. uh, all the luminaries of the, you know, all around. Yeah, sure. Uh, and we did a recording in his uh, firehouse. Yeah. Arnold Young was playing. Uh, it was great, great setup, great bunch of people. Yeah. And uh, one of the saxophone players was Brent Bowman. Yeah. And uh, that was the first time I met Brent. Yeah. And uh, Dr. Brent Bowman, I knew I was kidding. Uh, but his, he had a horrible bout of cancer and beat it. Uh, but it took away some of his abilities to play the sax because they took Yeah. His keyboard skills are so great. He studied at Berkeley. A couple of his uh, contacts there was one of the guys name was Gary Burton. Yeah. Another one was Chick Corea. So. Oh yeah. That's, so, that's serious. And it was serious. And so he called me up uh, a couple years later. Yeah. And said, "You remember me?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah you were a sax player." He said, "Well." And then he told me he had a real quick thing. And we didn't go into it. He said, I'm putting together a group. I think you might be the right guy for it. So he told me about this, what he was trying to do. I said, well, you know, I don't know if I'll fit in or anything. I, I can bring something to you. We'll see. So I showed up for a gig. I've been playing with him ever since. That was in 2008. And we've done, oh, geez, between 375 and 400 gigs together. Very cool. Yeah, I think. And, and uh, it, it, it was... Uh, it was love at first sight musically because they were they were hip to all the things that the group was doing. Yeah, sure. You know, it was it was like it's a, it's not just a backup group for a soloist. Absolutely not. Right. It's a total collaboration. Right. Right. You know, everybody in the groups in that group they bring something totally different to the yeah. table. Sure. Uh, Don McCarter, our guitar player, he used to tour and do, uh, you know, he's a fine player, however you cut it, but he used to do all kinds of 80s rock, and he also did a touring type, uh, you know, deadhead, you know, Grateful Dead stuff. Yeah. So he brings a certain element to that. Uh, the percussionist, he's just, he's a poet, 
and he studied percussion here in KC. Which brings a real creative vibe, which is really good. Of course, I already told you about Brent Bowman. Yeah. Michael Grega, he's a synthesizer nut from the 80s, and he's got all the stuff that he brings. It just brings a world of sounds and effects and whatnot. Uh, so, I mean, the, we have a new bass player, uh, and it's... You know, see, I want to make sure I, I hit everybody. Uh, Michael Grega and Brent and Greg Field is our drummer. I should mention his name. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Sorry. <laughs> hello. Hi, I'm sorry. Uh, Greg and uh, Don. I mentioned. Okay, that's everybody. We have a new uh, bass player, Ryan Jones, and uh, Ryan uh, is bringing a. He's real similar in his approach as Michael, so I, I'm interested to see how that sort of pulls things in. And then what I brought to the table was just an old trumpet player, man. Yeah. I played brass bands, Dixieland bands, funk bands, yeah. orchestra, sure. concert band, you know, on all that training I had. Yeah. And so when we sit down to play, we literally I don't mean to glamorize this, but there's really no plan other than like, let's try this key and let's start at this tempo and see where it goes. Yeah, sure. That's it. That's cool. It's really daunting. Yeah. You know, yeah. It really is. Because that could sound like a train real quick. I'm sure it can, but, but with all the years of experience and the expertise That's and the way the you come together. Well, we had a young man, and I'm not naming names. It was a kid came in for you and KC to play this one night. He wanted to sit in. Yeah. Good, great player. Yeah. And we told him, you know, look at our stuff on YouTube or whatever. Yeah. He came to the game, got his out, ran through all of this circus stuff, you know. God love his heart. He said, where are the charts? I said, man, there's no charts. He said, he said I, I thought you were kidding. I said, no, I'm not kidding you. So he, after the first tune, he he put us one of the keys. Yeah. But I think maybe he learned that, you know, that kind of stuff isn't just a bunch of notes. Right. It's, you know, what, what do you use? You know, what do we use for inspiration? You know, what? It could be a bumper sticker. It could be what, what happens on the spot. It could be a television show. It could be a phrase. I mean, and everybody, in fact, in the last two years, it, it takes me about an hour usually to drive the gigs. Yeah. Because I, you know, I live in Lexington, and so I drive it where I'm going. I don't even turn the radio on. I just let things sort of stew and distill. Yeah. Yeah. That usually helps me more than anything else because when when I was playing in jazz bands, you might get. A, an eight measure solo or a 32 measure solo or something, you know, four or five times. Yeah, yeah. That's not a whole lot of improvisation, right? Right. And you run the scales and you run the chords and you run the modes and okay. And at the end of a two and a half hour gig, you probably you probably improvise no longer than ten minutes, right? Right. Whereas when we sit in, in a two-hour gig, we improvise for two hours. Yeah. 
So, we're real careful. Yeah, absolutely. You have to be really careful. Absolutely. That's called a run. That's a long time. But that's, that's, that's what jazz is. That's what it's supposed to be. And I, I don't get too bugged by this, Joe, but I have sort of being an old guy, and I'm not as old as some. But I got a... We play outside the box in the bubble. Right. There's a lot of young cats. God love them. And they're wonderful players. Yeah, absolutely wonderful players. We're playing in the bubble. And most of them have to make a living. And I understand that. I don't have to. Right. Right. Neither do the other guys. We don't, we don't have to. Right. You see what I mean? Oh, yeah. But they play in the box. Yeah. I've heard that before. And they, yeah, and they don't have the life experience to play outside. Yeah. And it's not a rip or I'm not, or, it's nothing like that. No, and, and the beauty that I see with a lot of jazz musicians is that you're an extremely gracious bunch that's ready to teach. And you understand youth for what it is. And you know that it can saturate like vine, like, like grapes on a vine. You know that at one point they're going to bust out, and they're going to be that Miles Davis that's going to leave on the other side. Yeah, and, and we're not doing anything new, but Kansas City needs to hear what we do. No, I totally, totally agree. Which, I wanted to make a quick aside, it's amazing how many people have been turned on by Miles Davis. If he knew how many people, I mean, it's... I mean, there's so many people. I mean, Kind of Blue was my thing. Oh, yeah, when I heard mine that, too. I was yeah. like, oh, yeah. wow. I'd never heard anything like that. So, hearing that uh, you were in a whole other element with him, and he was getting into fusion. And well, yeah, and then, you know, I went back and checked out, you know, obviously I traced back and yeah, checked sure. all this stuff up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Got miles ahead, kind of blue, obviously. Uh, another one I like is uh, In a Silent Way. Yeah. Like, that's, oh, yeah. I like a lot of that stuff. Yeah. It's sort of similar to uh, yeah, we, we don't necessarily pattern it after that. We use a lot of spoken word too. We sure. use every, everything that we can inspires us. And uh, I, sometimes I, I had one reviewer actually walked up to me on the and he said, "Why don't you play more notes?" And the only answer I could think of was what this one dude told me at a, at a gig. Was, uh, we played uh, this gig, not the cows. I was in some other group. I really can't remember what it was. Yeah. We were playing in St. Joe at the uh, Pullman Hawkins Jazz Festival. And right before us, the scams played. Yeah. The old cat. I mean, the really old dudes. Yeah. And they were all sitting in chairs. Pullman's <laughs> in a wheelchair. And boy, they just could. They just could. Well, afterwards, this tenor sax player, and I really can't remember his name, but he was the, the tenor sax player in this game. I asked him, I said, what was it like? You know, he said, well, he said, it was great. He said, it's fun now, too. And I said, did you know Bird? Yeah. Did you know John Coulter? Yeah. He said, they both did. <laughs> and he said, I love, I love too many notes. <laughs> yeah, too many notes. There you go. That's awesome. So that's how I answered that. That's awesome. That's cool. So that I just, attributed to, you know, obviously that had nothing to do with any other demises, but I, 
I got a kick out of that. No, that's a wise answer right there. That's nice. So, so your first language was piano. English was second. Was trumpet third? Yeah, I started playing trumpet when I was 10 years old. Okay. All right. This marks my 52nd year of playing the trumpet. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. So, speaking of professions, you've worked on a barge, farm labor, truck labor, railroad, groceries. <laughs> so, you've been all over. What is that why you have such a poetic outlook on things? Is that yeah. Kinda... Yeah. My younger brother, uh, one of my younger brothers, the one that's just younger than I am. Jonathan is a singer-songwriter, and um, a lot of the things we experienced when we were growing up is just, you know, just all those things just sort of rummage around. You know? And once in a while, one of them will keep, oh, remember, remember this? Remember this? Oh, yeah, okay. So, yeah. I have a sister who's very talented. Uh, Elise, my my brother Jonathan, lives out in Hollywood, out in L.A., the belly of the beast. And, uh, my sister lives in Richmond. Uh, she still teaches. Um, and then I have a little brother. He's probably the smartest of all of us. He lives in Waterbury, Vermont. And he's married and has a home up there. And, he works for the Darker Press. Okay. Went to J School now. So I'm real proud of him. But he was born on my 19th birthday. Man, that's all over. So what's the what's the age range? Well, uh, Jack is probably your age. Yeah. Let's see. No, he's a little older than you. He's probably a couple years older than you. Okay. But uh, yeah, he was born on my 19th birthday, and and uh, he always likes to say that I was born on his. Birthday too. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I haven't had many birthdays since then. It's always Jack's birthday. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> no, they're. I, we were so blessed uh, to have a musical family. Yeah. Uh, my dad was a fiddle player. My mom was an incredible piano player. And uh, music was in our house. Yeah. Constantly. So yeah, it's in the gene pool. Yeah. It was and is and uh, but I've had great teachers and friends and. Uh, I studied uh, conducting for a number of years at the graduate level, so I've been able to. I think listening is such a large part of what I do now that I was used to listening to, you know, 35 or 40 things at once. Talk about multitasking. Oh, yeah. And now with this group, it's it's pretty easy for me to. Well, it's still daunting, but it you know you can hear what's going on and yeah. you can relate to that. You know, it seems to me that in jazz, a lot of people want to get into theory. They want to understand what's going on. A lot of degrees, a lot of educated. I mean, is that is that seems to be a different thing from other genres of music. Okay, I gotta really be careful here because, I, you know, my friends that are that are teachers at that level, they get they get sort of wrapped up in that stuff, right? And I think you can wrap that stuff uh, if they were any kind of teacher, and I think a lot of them really are, right? A lot of kids have different learning styles. Yeah. Most of them do. Yeah, sure. And um, analytical, uh, logistical, and uh, literal 
in a linear fashion, a lot of them will learn that way, and, and all those chords and symbols and scales and all that makes sense to them. But you take somebody that learns differently, yeah, on the right side of the brain, they're going to look at that stuff and go, you mean my creations have to follow that? Yeah. Well, that's where I am. Yeah. So, right. I mean, do I look at all that stuff? Can I rechange? Yeah, I can do it. Yeah. I don't find it very interesting. Right, sure. Uh, I think melody is melody has taken a back seat in some cases to scales and modes and chords and flourishes. Yeah. And and a lot of people equate that with a good jazz player is oh gee, they man, they could play fast or they could play higher, they could play loud and okay. Yeah. But is that art? Right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's that's what's open to interpretation, right there. Yeah, yeah, and and again, I'm not, I don't hold a grudge or anything like that against any of those folks. But yeah. uh, I'll let the the volume of the work that I've done with the cows and on my own and with friends around that I've recorded, I'll let that speak for itself. I don't, I don't have to go out. Yeah, I don't want to. Nothing yeah. through. Yeah, and they want to talk about it in the classroom all they want. Yeah. Okay. Right. Here's uh, here's what I do. <laughs> Real world experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So let me kind of get into a little bit of who were, we talked about Miles Davis. Who are some of your jazz heroes? Who did you okay. look up to? Well, Miles Davis, of course. Uh, I I love Clifford Brown. I'm going to talk trumpet player first. Yeah, sure. Uh, Clifford Brown, for sure. Uh, I love Nicholas Payton, New Kids. Uh, I really think that Freddie Hubbard was one of the most incredible improvisers that the world has known. Yeah. He would take chances and do things that no other trumpet player would try. Right, and he did it, and and if it worked, fine. If it didn't, okay, yeah. he wasn't scared. Right, uh, I really admire him. Uh, you can't go wrong with uh, the the people from the Kansas City area that were great players, still are. Uh, you know, you can't. Uh, anytime I played on 18th Street, I I always go down by 18th Street and say, "Oh, and see Bird's Head." I, that's a that's a holy place as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. He was uh, he was somebody that uh, really pushed it. John Coltrane, Tizzy Gillespie, guy, you know. Yeah. Just you just keep right on going. Yeah. Uh, there's and you know there's some that uh, aren't as known. Yeah. I like Wallace Roman. Yeah. Um, like some of the best players I've ever heard, nobody knows it. Yeah, sure. You know, um, I played with a alto sax player. Uh, he lives out in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, his name's Ralph Burton. He studied classical music with Dr. Eugene Rousseau at the University of Yeah. And, uh, he was a great guy to play with. We sort of played in little groups together there in St. Louis back in the late 70s. And uh, it, it turned, he sort of turned me on to funk a little more than I had 
been. You know, I mean, I saw James Brown in Kansas City in the whatever, 60s. Yeah. Live. What a band that was. Um, and then, uh, so that, you know, I don't know. I, who is in for it? Leslie Bowie. Yeah. I, well, I like that stuff. Sun Ra, of course. Yeah. He played. Did he play with the Chicago Arts and Talent? Yeah. Too, I think. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. yeah, I always loved him because he 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 said he was born. Uh, oh yeah. From uh, some Jupiter sun or something like that. He 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 had some ideas. Oh yeah. He, he, he was swimming. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I I don't know Don Cherry. Actually, I read the manual. Try to think of one. Anthony Braxton. Yeah. I mean, who's so oh yeah, great. Great guy, and, and they're not like didn't sell a lot of stuff or do you know? But they were out there. They were great. And a lot of that has influenced my playing. Yeah, absolutely. And then classically, of course, my trumpet teachers, Gordon and Ron Earl, influenced me a lot. Sure. And uh, actually, when I was a little boy, I liked to sneak out of bed and go in and to the doorway of the den and listen to uh, Doc Severinsen play in the Skitch Henderson band before he took over the Tonight Show band. I loved him and I got to meet him. Oh, how was that? It was incredible. I was about 16 years old Yeah. and um, I drove to Chillicothe, Missouri with another guy uh, to watch him perform something with the Chillicothe High School band. And he came out early and warmed up and I was sitting right there and watched him and he asked me what I was doing there and I told him and he said, well, let me show you a couple of things. <laughs> I was on cloud now. That's awesome. Yeah, and he's still, he's still out there playing, man. Is he really? Yeah. I just picked up one of his vinyl albums. It was Doc Saracen and the Brand New Sound and here on Warm Analog, it was, it was like... His sound. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, at that point, it was like, this is the new sound of jazz, and it was just all Bam. I mean, it was on, mm -hmm. it was tight, it was good. Uh, all those guys that he had in that band out there were just Pete Condoli, Connie Condoli, and all those guys in that band. Just like Jeez. a candy shop. You know? <laughs> well, you answer my next question. I, I always like to ask if there's one musician of anybody in any era you could get into a time machine and go meet and talk to, who would it be? That's a pretty good one with Doc, but yeah, if there's somebody it was. else. Um, you know that, and I'm just, this is me today. This is the mindfulness of now. Last night, I teach a music history class, excuse me, music appreciation class, and another kind of class at a junior college here. And uh, last night, one of the people asked me about Berlioz. And so I put on the March to the Scaffold and uh, the Witch's Sabbath from uh, Symphony Fantastique. So today, who I would like to go back and talk to is Hector Berlioz. Because he was around like when they, uh, when John Baptiste Arbonne uh, and all those guys that worked with him were the ones that came up with the technology for the band. Therefore, his music reflected that. Yeah. And um, yeah, I would like to. I would like to meet him. Now, as far as jazz guys go, still same guy, yeah. Miles. Yeah, absolutely. I'd like to see him. And I know he probably wouldn't have a whole lot to say to me, but that's okay. Just to be in his aura for 
five minutes would yeah. be fine. Yeah. Yeah. I saw him in an interview in the 70s, and the dude that was interviewing was real stiff. It was this talk show, and he came out, and he had a thick ass on, and he was just like, man, when you ask, what are you talking about, man? I mean, he was just totally like, what is this? What do you, what do you, like, he got there like 10 minutes late, and was just kind of disoriented. It's Miles Davis. I mean, everything that he saw, and what, I mean, you have to come up with I've read so many funny, funny, funny things about him. And I would really like to just sit and get all that out of the way and just tell me some stories about you. You know the guy that played Artie on uh, David, uh, what was it, that show that was on TV on cable? Uh, I can't even remember, I shouldn't remember the guy's name, but he was lived with Miles yeah. for a while when they were both young men. Yeah. And he came in one day and Miles had been making some food. And Miles was sitting up in his apartment, up on the ledge looking out. And when uh, this dude asked him, what are you doing here? All he said was, those people look like ants. <laughs> okay. That's it. That's it. Are you going to show? No. Uh, oh, there's one about him. One of those guys in his group was you know, letting him know that there was food backstage, you know, before the gig. And, uh, then come here to eat. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Well, I heard he used to go on stage and he'd play a note or two. The place would go nuts. And then he'd walk off. Yeah. That was his gig. Well, you know, there is a visual thing that he did, and I've looked at it probably two dozen times. And if you look at the concert that he did at the Isle of Wight, yeah. and it, there's a video of that, it, it there's... I think it was he played for 600,000 people. I think. Yeah. And the band was just incredible. And he tells them what's the name of the song. He just call it anything. Something like that. Similar thing. And then they start in on this wild fusion. That was in 1970. And in that band is Don Elias, uh, uh, Dave Holland, really young, yeah. Chick Corea, oh, yeah. uh, oh, oh, jeez, the, just the, I think it was. I, I don't know who the I'm not sure who the drummer was. But uh, the other keyboard player was uh, Keith Jarrett. Yeah. Can you imagine? That's crazy. That's crazy. That's another guy that I'd like to sit down and yeah. talk to. Yeah. Because you know the first part of his career was all just sit down and go. Yeah, sure. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, he's a... Yeah. He's up in yeah. Yeah. the end. Oh, yeah. But... Uh, I don't know, I was probably rambling there. No, 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 Let's say you have a dream. Okay. Ten years from now. Hey. Okay? <laughs> you walk into a room and okay. someone's talking about you and the River Kell Orchestra. What would you think? They don't know you're there. You're listening. Wow. You know, first of all, if, if they were that knocked out by some of the stuff we did, I would immediately say, get us a gig. Yeah, that's right. Let's play. <laughs> we're here. Let me play for you. Um, 
I would be I would be totally flat. Grateful, yeah. Well, you know, all the guys that play with the cows, there's a whole raft of experience there. I mean, the youngest cat is probably 45, yeah, maybe, yeah. And the rest of us are older than that, you know. I'm one of the older ones, but you know. Uh, so th this is sort of our thing, yeah. you know. Um, I also I sort of want to leave a legacy for my my son and my grandkids. I've got a bunch, yeah. and, uh, you know that that's part of it too. Yeah, I want them to say, hey, that's "Grandpa, yeah, absolutely." You know, that's but you know that's you got me with that one because I never thought of that. Right. Yeah. I yeah. never think past. Yeah, I haven't. Ask me what I'm doing tomorrow. I don't know. Oh, I know. <laughs> well, I know what I'm doing tomorrow. Right. No, I know. I know. But I, at this point, you sort of wing it. Yeah. You know. What What else do you want to do? What What, what do you What do you want to accomplish in music? I just want to keep playing as long as I can. Paul Montemurro, who was my mentor and my one man, he was still kicking it when he was in his mid seventies. Yeah. And then, you know, he got started having some real issues and got real sick and he died. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I just like to keep playing as long as I can and keep keep uh, projects going that are, you know, that are viable and, and artistic and as, as cool as I can make them. Yeah. With, with, the thing is, as an artist, we, we want to filter things either through reality or through maybe what somebody else thinks, what is what does the producer want? What what do I want? What what does the public want? There's different filters they use. And I don't have to use those other filters right now. Right. It can be my filter, right? And you try to take advantage one tries to take advantage of the filter that they are living with, right. and mine just happens to be a 62-year-old guy who has had a lot of different things. Yeah. You know, I played a polka gig once where I had to wear later hose. I played, I, I played piano in a pizza bar for two years down at Mizzou. I mean, you, you don't think at the time that all those things make a difference, but they really do. So sometimes when I see some of these young cats and they're trying to be real sophisticated about, you know, do this with jazz, that with jazz, I'm like, okay. Oh, this is a horrible game. Yeah. Right, right. Got where I'm going, buddy. Right, exactly. <laughs> it can always get worse. Oh, yes. It can always get worse. Yeah. Talk to me about River Cow. What's going on right now? What are you guys doing? Right now, uh, we're in a. We sort of took the winter off, not that we. At, at my age, I'm not real well about slipping equipment in and out in the winter. I, I'm sorry. I mean, you know, somebody might think I'm a wuss, but I've got other things to do too. And then, uh, okay. But the season is starting. We're doing uh, tomorrow night. We have a gig at uh, the Neon Gallery down on Truman Road, uh, Thomas Cobain's Gallery, and uh, we're there with uh, some poets from the Writers' Place, and uh, that's always fun. That's that's becoming a real hip 
thing yeah. once a month or yeah. once every six weeks or something. It's fantastic. I mean, I think the last time there's close to two hundred people. Yeah, they come. They come out here. A lot of young cats, which is is uh, it's encouraging. Uh, and it's about half and half, young and old. But that's that's great. Then uh, Saturday, that's tomorrow night. Uh, and then Saturday, we're in the studio all day down at the Weights and Measures studio at Crossroads. We're playing, a, we're doing a collaboration with the Writers Place, uh, some poets, and the Casey Co. Dance, Contemporary Dance Company. And we're recording uh, most of the day. Uh, they're doing a, some kind of put together work we're doing the soundtrack for them so they can go out and do these benefits for them singing and stuff around the city and that stuff. Uh, and we've got to have that we got to have that wrapped up by the end of May and later with all the yeah, stuff. So uh, what'll happen is they're bringing in these poets and they all they read up. I think it's Mother Goose. They read and then we react to that. And then the, the dancers will go off what we do. And we've done this with them before, but never in the studio. And we've done it enough with them that they feel comfortable with us doing this project. With them. So I think we perform with them about six times. So it, it is fun. You really have to listen. Oh yeah, yeah. You really have to listen. That's interesting stuff. That's the great thing that I noticed about you guys. You leave the poetry and you're very fresh. You're in the middle of kind of the hub of what's going on. Well, that's what used to always go back. Yeah, right. There you go. You know, we played with this uh, this little old guy came in the, the writer's place there at uh, Valentine in Pennsylvania. Right behind the left camera. Yeah, yeah, it's right there, writer's place. Right, right back there. And they brought in some poets, and there was this elderly gentleman, I don't want to say old guy, but he was, I mean, he was probably in the mid-80s. Yeah. He was one of the poets, and he listened to us do his thing, and then he said, are you going to be playing while I do this? And I said, yeah, I will. And he said, yeah, I want you to do this and this. He was sort of particular. And as soon as he got there, he put his little walking stick down, and he became 25 years old behind that thing, doing his poetry. Okay, now he finished it. And so we're wrapping up the evening, and I, we just sort of happened to walk towards each other, and I said, man, I really liked your stuff. It was really there. And I said, where are you, where, are you from, California? I said, well, how'd you get your start? Where did, where did you do all this? He said, well, I had some friends who were pretty encouraging. I said, really? And he said, yeah. Shelly, Jack. He was talking about Shell Silverstein, all those guys. Yeah, humble about it. Yeah. So he was so hip to having a trumpet doing this stuff around what he was doing. I mean, he was totally with it. And, and no one would have known it the way people treat Oh, they would have had no idea. The font of knowledge that could have come. You just get it. That is maybe a gripe I have with some of the youth. They want to filter everything through their filter and make it, well, this is what it's supposed to sound like, I think. Or, you know, they, they're filtering it through the, what maybe what one of the professors said, 
or what what they think it's supposed to be, and then they know that it's, that's the way it's supposed to be. Right. Their ego won't allow them to go talk to somebody that knows. You know, I can't believe that there's people in the city that do things and they don't consult Arnold Young. What? Arnold played with Jocko. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Why wouldn't you want to know about funk? Right. Or right. <laughs> it takes yeah. every. I, I was thinking recently about wisdom. And if you really want wisdom, listen to an older person who's muttered it They have all the answers. They've seen it. And from a music standpoint, you would figure that the younger musicians would want to soak that up like a sponge. Because that's where it's at. The, mo the more you have, the more that's going on up there, the better you can find I think part of it is not their fault. I think when I was growing up, we had to go good for it. Right. They don't. Right. If I wanted to hear a new piece of music, I'd have to get in my car and drive to one of my friend's concert and listen to his band right. I couldn't just, it's there. So there had to be a social contact. There had to be this this uh, intercourse of, hey, what problems did you have with that piece? Is it, do you think it'd be good for my band? You know, you have to learn. You have to give up a little bit to learn. And I don't think there's a whole lot of it. Yeah, I, I know. And I don't know. I don't know that for a fact, but I know they don't talk to me. Maybe they don't talk to me because they think I'm, you know, sticking with it or something. But, right. You know, I'll, my grandmother Point lived to be 104, and I learned so much with her. And I, like you said, I would just sit for hours and listen to her talk about stuff. Yeah. You know? She was 17 years old when the Titanic was raised. She had a newspaper. Oh yeah, and. I remember one time I got mad. She was wise beyond her years and beyond her, uh, you know, a lot of people went to college on a, she raised a family and worked during World War I making artillery shells. I mean, she was a liberated woman way back when. Well, I told her I was mad about something. I was very old. And she said, well, honey, you just need to go in there and sit down in a chair and scratch your mask. All right, so I was in there, and I was like, okay, you know. Yeah. Finally, after about five minutes, I got my kid, I said, Grandma, I can't find my man place. And she looked at me and smiled. She said, well, you must not be very mad. What a psychologist. Yeah. yeah. She was telling me, that, that's your problem, buddy. Yeah. Right. That's not mine. That's right. That's right. And so with that kind of support, yeah. growing up as a kid, you can't help but oh, yeah. be lucky and pick up you know, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's yeah. So, what's the last thing you've been listening to lately? Oh. Well, I've been boning up on the last recording we've done only because I'm trying to hear... I don't listen to it all the time, right? but I like to hear some things so that the next time we record, I don't do the same thing. <laughs> Yeah, you know, right. uh, it's sort of uh, that would be clinical listening and unnecessarily enjoyable listening. Sure. Um, I got off the other day listening to. Uh, I was listening to some uh, live Jocko stuff and some Papathini, and I was listening to. Uh, oh, what else was I listening to yesterday? Uh, oh, I was listening to some concert band, old concert band works. Valdrez, uh, Norwegian March, yeah. by Hansen. Uh, you know, it's it's 
just like I am, you know. I listen to all kinds of different things. I don't just yeah. stick on one deal. Yeah. As far as jazz stuff I've listened to. Uh, God, there's so much uh, concentrate on one. I guess the last thing I listened to was melodic. I listened to the uh, CD of uh, Tony Bennett. Story. I listened to that just to hear his voice. It was crazy. Yeah. You, know, you can't. He says he's just a saloon singer. Oh, God. No, no, no. He's very humble. Oh, yeah. Very humble. He's, uh, that's pretty good stuff. Yeah, that is good stuff. What would you say is the most important things that you've taught your kids about music? Wow. <laughs> Had a lot of students. Um, Students and your own children. I think my son would say, love Frank Zappa. I think that's what my son would say, because I listen to that all the time. All those great musicians. So my son actually knows more about the Frank Zappa time than I do. He really jumped in. Um, my daughter... She was a great little French horn player. Uh, she listens to. She likes uh, hip hop and rhythm and blues. Uh, what did I teach them? I would think that just the love of a lot, love a lot, and uh, like good music. Somebody asked what kind of music you like. You say good music. Yeah. What, what yeah. Buddy Rich say there's two kinds of music, good and bad? Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, Buddy Rich. Yeah. No, there's some memories coming back oh, from yeah. seeing him. Um, my students at school, God, through the years, love what you're doing. Yeah. And uh, you're never too old to continue to make music. Just keep doing it as long as you can. And hopefully that built good uh, people that appreciated it, uh, people that were going to become parents that would be good uh, to share with their kids good music, uh, good consumers of music later on, knowing what's good and what's not, or they're ripping us off or they're not ripping us off. Sure. You know, those those kinds of things. You know, I didn't. I haven't thought about that for a long time. Thanks for tweaking my memory on that. I've been out for this is my fifth year out of teaching. Although I still teach. I mean, I got private students. And I have some little cute little uh, piano players. And oh man, I've got a couple of just. A, I mean, they're fantastic. And uh, and then my students at the junior college, they're, they're older, you know, some of them are you know, in their 30s, they're a lot of fun, too. It's just, you know, you can't ever pass up a chance to teach, right? A teachable moment. Uh, that what my teachers told me. You gotta stay teaching. Yeah. One of my good friends, Bobby Hanson, he lives in St. Louis, well, Winsboro. Uh, he told me, he said, man, stay teaching. That's great advice. Yeah, that is. And um, so I, I 
try to learn something from everybody I can. Try to learn from you and everybody that's around me. Uh, sometimes what you learn is, is maybe not positive motion, but you can always take something and make it positive, I think, from someone. Uh, I was, my first wife, when she was uh, pregnant with my son years ago, she asked me to go out and get an ice cream for her. And there was a new place there north of Troy, right off Highway 63, which is real close to Winston. I went out to get her ice cream. It was late at night. And when I came in to this, it was one of those old time places where you had to walk up to the window. There's no drive through or anything. There's a sidewalk up to it. There was one car parked there. And as I got out and I walked up, there was a black man standing at the window. I looked in. The, I looked at the car and. The license plate said CB. And I was standing there and they were loading stuff into his tray and I kept looking at him and looking at the car and, I, and it hit me. Chuck Berry lived at Winston. Chuck Berry was getting ice cream in front of me. Well, when I was a kid in high school, Chuck Berry was a god. And so, I'm thinking, I've got like 30 seconds, I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to say? What am I going to say to him? What am I going to say? Because there's nobody else there except the chicken in the ice cream place. So he turns around and he's got this whole big thing of ice cream. And here's what I came up with. You're Chuck Berry. And he looked at me and smiled and winked and said, I am That's awesome. That's a great story. That's yeah. Really cool. And so... You, you learn, yeah. you know, I, that was Chuck Berry. Yeah, what do you say? Yeah. You just, you're well, you know, you, sometimes you just, you can't be afraid to step out into the void. And uh, when I'm playing, every time I play, I worry about a few things. I don't worry about a lot. I worry about, okay, is my sound going to be okay? Because my teachers always talk to me, sound is the thing. That's what will get you into your sound. Right. Okay. Because uh, everybody, I mean, any kind of trump player at a certain level can play high, or they can play fast, and they can do all that stuff. You got to be able to do that, but uh, and I worry sometimes about my endurance. I, uh, you know, I, I probably play more now than I did ten years ago. But endurance, I have to, you know. I, and so sometimes I worry about, okay, can I play three hours intense? Sure. Yeah. Which is, you know, that's a concern. But, yeah. I don't even know if I answered your question. You did. You did. You totally did. So this is another question. You've had a, you've had a very rich journey in life. Do you have any regrets? No. No. I can tell you some. There were turning points. Right. When I was uh, when I was a younger man, and uh, I taught about five years. So I was still in my 20s. I had an opportunity to become a graduate assistant at Northwestern University in wind conduction. And I passed it up. Now, 
The reason I passed it up is yeah. because I had a new son. It really wasn't a, you know, it really wasn't, oh, I really, yeah, sometimes I wonder, oh, what would have happened if I did it? But you know what? I'm glad I did what I did. Because uh, you turn stuff down like that. And the, and the cool thing, the guy that was teaching there, John Painter, who was there forever, uh, he understood totally. You know, I called him totally, and he was like, man, I don't believe it. You know, he was really cool about it. You know. So that's one that, you know, and then through the years you have, I almost said auditions, interviews at other schools, or at other schools calling in. I never left Richmond. Uh, once I got there, I was there for 24 years. When you're happy, you're happy. Yeah, it's not money. It's not all money. You know, when you choose to be a teacher, you make a conscious decision. You know. But, today, when I get a call from one of my kids from way back Thanks. Cha-ching. That's my You know, I had a kid I was teaching and went in the library one day after lunch, opened up the New York Times, boom, right on the front. One of my former students, he was in the, he's in the United States Army field band. He was playing taps at uh, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier on the business. Or Memorial Day, one of them. Yeah, sure. And that was him. Well, when he was 11 years old, I handed him the truth. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so there's his picture. Uh, yeah, I've had, I got kids that went to the Curtis Institute, just great trombone players. That's, you know, it's, and, and it's not just musicians that grow up. It's, you know, kids that will call and they're not kids anymore, you know. They had a guy call me up and said, you know who this is? Well, he said, I'll play bass clarinet in your band and whatever. I think I do know who this is. And I told him, he said, you're right. And it had been 25 years since I'd had contact with him. He said, I own a truck. And, yeah, yeah. and I wanted to say, whatever. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, you, uh, you do make a conscious choice. I don't know if the kids today make that choice. I don't know the ones that are going to be teachers. It's a totally different bag now. And I can't, I can't fault any of them that don't go into it. Uh, and I really can't fault any of them that leave it. But uh, back then, it was a, a real choice. So anyway, yeah, I don't regret. No, no, it, it's. I tend to not even think about yesterday. Right? <laughs> uh, nice existential Well, we get so tied up in tomorrow and yesterday. And again, that's not what this interview is about. But I, I get to, even in our playing, it's now. It's what's happening right now. Right? And so that's a real easy way to continue to have that mindset. At the moment. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. The mindfulness of it. So, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you're going to have to go back to the on this next one. This okay. is my final question. All right. How to wrap everything up. In the length of a tweet, 144 characters, tell me who you are. 
I, I take well, actually more no, refined. Some your career so, so, up, so, up to this I point, or your life, however you choose. And it can be a sentence. I'll do it in a series of little things. Wonderful young life. Loving family. Supportive. I stuck my hand in the meat grinder. Meeting when I went to the surf tour. Yeah, sure. I didn't count that as part of the tweet. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I didn't actually stick my head in the meat grinder. But eight chairs in the tour. And 27 trumpets. We're giving it. Yeah. Okay. Um, Learn to practice. Yeah. That'd be the next phrase. And he's like, like it was a guitar player, and he was sitting on my bed. The harder I worked, the luckier I got. That's great. And. Wonderful career. Beautiful kids. And blessed with my own beautiful family. Blessed with friends. And I just want to keep on. Keep on. You know? Where. Am I done with my tweet? Yeah. That was the tweet. You, what you do for the area and what you do for the Midwest is just fantastic, Joe. I love talking to you guys. I love spending the music. You just gotta, you know, keep the gigs coming. And yeah. Keep playing. Keep on keeping on. That's right. That's the key. That's what I want to do. That's the key. Thank you so much. Oh, man. Thank you. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Kansas City and spots all over the USA, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to the great EE for his time and valuable insight. He has and will continue to be a gem in the Kansas City scene for a unique sound and a font of living wisdom. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store, or you can visit the neonjazz.blogspot.com for all things neon jazz. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends. Neon Jazz.